the failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. I'm an environmentalist. A lot of people don't understand that. I think I know more about the environment than most people. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East Off. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 2, The Manifesto. I'm Ian Collins, and it wouldn't be unreasonable to say that this is about the only place you'll find a discussion on environmental issues that cuts through the guff, gets to the core of the story, and gives you some pretty straightforward opinion on all matters green. A brief explainer about the DNA of this podcast. The series mostly follows the opinions, initiatives, and ideas of Dale Vince, the entrepreneur and environmentalist. He built his success in the green energy sector. He's the owner of Ecotricity, the world's first green energy company, and also happens to be the chairman of Forest Green Rovers. Dale, hello. Yeah, in morning. I don't think we could really start anywhere but here. I can today announce that the UK government has decided to become the world leader in low-cost clean power generation, cheaper than coal, cheaper than gas. And we believe that in 10 years' time, Offshore wind will be powering every home in the country with our target rising from 30 gigawatts to 40 gigawatts. You heard me right. Your kettle, your washing machine, your cooker, your heating, your plug-in electric vehicle, the whole lot of them, will get their juice cleanly and without guilt from the breezes that blow around these islands. So he's serious, Dale. He, he's beaten you at your own game. Well, Dale Vince move over, Boris Johnson enter. Yeah, it's like uh, he's, he's certainly adopting our language. You know, I mean, he described Britain or the UK as potentially the Saudi Arabia of wind energy uh, in his yeah. speech. And, you know, this is something we've been saying for decades. We're not alone in saying that. You know, I mean, the UK wind industry has been saying that since the 90s, I reckon, because we've got 40% of Europe's wind energy. You know, it makes us like the Saudi Arabia of wind. So Johnson's on board now, it would appear, though I'm skeptical. And then uh, we have this uh, announcement for offshore wind. And it's worth mentioning that just seven years ago, the same Boris Johnson said that wind energy couldn't pull the skin off of a rice pudding and that Britain faced an energy crisis to which wind was not the answer. But then, you see, I'm thinking he's just been listening to this podcast. We've done about 26 episodes of this. It's not unfeasible, Dale, that he's been listening and, and thought, actually, these, these guys know what they're talking about. Yes, possible, but I doubt that somewhat. So he's announced this um, additional offshore target. It's not as big as it sounds. And the idea that we can power all of Britain's homes uh, from offshore wind is fine. You know, of course we can, but we already power all of Britain's homes from onshore and offshore wind and solar. You know, we have nearly 40% of our electricity now from renewable energy. Homes in Britain only use one third of total electricity. So we've already covered homes. And the kind of worrying thing is that the, the press release they put out and the speech itself gave a lot of prominence to something called floating offshore wind and the idea mm. that we can go out into really deep waters with this stuff. It's going to cost twice as much as normal offshore wind, and it doesn't make any sense. And it's going to take up about 2% of, of Johnson's announced new target. So it's kind of a tiny component uh, in terms of impact, but in terms of presentation, it's like the major thing. We're going to pioneer this new thing, you know, floating windmills, which is just bonkers. We don't need it. We're not short of wind, uh, you know, onshore. 
we have enough land to build enough windmills to power the whole country four times over. And that's available land, you know, uh, allowing for all of the constraints, grid, housing, aviation, mm. everything you like, you know, four times over just onshore. Then, of course, we've got offshore anyway. So, you know, it's all a bit something and nothing from the government. It's a bit, it's a bit hyped. They've just added 10 gigawatts of offshore to a 30 gigawatt target is essentially what's happened. So why would they what, – what's what, what do you think is behind that, Dale? What, why would Johnson bother to even monkey around with the offshore elements of this, as you, you rightly say? I mean, the, the homes, are, homes are largely covered, but it's a great headline for a prime minister. We will power every home through wind, et cetera. But as you say, they're kind of already there. What would be his reason for wanting to even – introduce the the offshore element well i think it's a presentational thing it's clear that a lot of people are talking about building back better and building back green and and that kind of stuff there's a real pressure to come back differently out of the pandemic and focus on the you know the green economy and this is johnson presenting himself as somebody that's behind that but of course what's lacking what's really lacking is anything for onshore wind and solar which is our which are our cheapest and most abundant forms of renewable energy and currently the dominant providers of renewable energy in our country. You know, it makes no sense to ignore them. And this is the kind of flaw in Johnson and the Conservatives approach. You know, they can't embrace the reality of renewable energy, which is that we need to build it around the country. For them, it's a problem. What should Boris Johnson have said, darling, that's what would you as an environmentalist, you've been doing this for yonks, what would, would have been that one nugget you'd like to have heard him say that would have been a game changer that would have made you change your views on his motives behind this i would have said adding 10 gigawatts to the offshore target by 2030 that's great let's have it but lift the ban on onshore wind which cameron imposed lift the ban on onshore solar which cameron imposed let's get back to building onshore it's cheapest renewable energy we can have and actually by 2030 we don't need a target to be 30 percent renewable energy or, or whatever he, i don't know what he came up with actually but we need a target to be 100 percent renewable energy powered in terms of electricity by 2030 that's absolutely possible but we've got to get real about it you know we've got to bite the bullet and say you know we need to build windmills we need to build solar farms and we need to build them onshore yeah uh let's go to this story and uh, here's a clue Do you know what that is, Dale? The German national anthem, of course. Of course it is. Uh, we, we all regularly hum that when we're uh, in happy mood. Um, and the reason we play that is because of all places. You think of you know, different parts of the world that have a, an affinity with meat. Uh, and for some reason, the German sausage, allowing for the end of pier gaggery that comes from it. The German sausage, you know, it's, it's a part of a staple diet, as we understand. It's a, almost a tourist attraction in Germany. We understand, however, that Germany now loves vegetarian food yeah a really interesting survey undertaken in germany and in france asking people basically a series of questions to identify how many people are kind of unreconstructed meat eaters people that don't try to limit the amount of meat they eat and what they found was that those people are now in the minority in germany which is a real surprise not yet in france but in germany most people are cutting down on the amount of meat they eat which is incredible so the love affair with the sausage could be over. Yeah, the worst is over, as the Guardian put it. <laughs> no, I wish I thought that. <laughs> pretty good. Love it. Uh, yeah. Here's a question from Alex on Twitter. Love what you said about the Liverpool Good Business Festival. I'm now subscribed to the podcast. What's the green flag for? 
just in lightness, Dale, what's he referring to here? Yeah, we did a little session yesterday. It was a uh, one of those online conference festivals things. Gabby Logan was the host. Uh, it was kind of based in Liverpool, at least notionally, because, you know, we were all taking part virtually. Mm. And we were talking about sport and its role in promoting diversity and, uh, in my case, you know, environment issues. Our flag, the Green Union jacket, sits behind me when I do these kind of remote studio yeah, sessions. Yeah. And it just represents what we're working towards, what we believe in, which is a green Britain. So it's a green version of the Union Jack. Just remind us as well. The, so the didn't the, the government try to nick your Green Union Jack about a year ago? Yeah, they did. <laughs> Thanks for the for the memory. So they um, they ran a thing <laughs> called they ran a thing called Green Britain Week, which is you know itself slightly a rip off. Uh, but then they happened to just use our flag to go with it, and we got in touch and we said, guys, please, you know, you can't do that. It's firstly it's a registered trademark, amongst other things, as part of yeah. the fact that we're well known to to be users of it. And we fought EDF off in the year of the Olympics. Was it 2012? I think you know this is a French nuclear company that draped their vans in our green union jack and we couldn't yeah, believe it can't be we, doing that we had to take them guys to court as well uh, but the government backed out eventually and, and settled out of court so we got our flag back you'd think well i always think and maybe i've got too much faith in the enormity of some corporations and certain and governments you, you'd think somebody would check that first well, I think they knew, and, and I think they thought they could just get away with it. I mean, it's ironic because government advice when it comes to intellectual property is to register it to protect yourself. You know, thanks, government. We did that. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's it. Precisely, you're following their advice just in case anyone nicks your, your thing. <laughs> they right. nicked it. And so we had to take them to court. Breach their own advice. Yeah. Shysters. Marvellous. Who ever would have uh, thought such a thing? You, you just mentioned nuclear power there. Um, Carl on Facebook says, why are you so down on nuclear power? Is it because you don't make money from it? That's harsh. <laughs> it's very harsh, isn't it? Come yeah, on, Carl. I, it's early in the morning, mate. I mean, give us some wiggle room at this end. What, what's the story here? Because it is a, it's a controversial area, of course, and some people look at it as a very clean alternative option, but you're not really enamoured by those arguments. Well, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's not clean, is it? I don't think anybody makes money out of nuclear power, actually. I mean, this is, this is what all of the studies say. Although, of course, the, uh, the subsidies for nuclear are huge. So, I mean, it's just come up uh, recently and, and, you know, people pop up now and then. Oh, I think this was Rod Little in the Sun, wasn't it? That's what kicked off this week. He said nuclear was the safest form of energy that we could have. It's like, well, excuse me, you know, you're forgetting Fukushima, Chernobyl, Three Mile Island, you know, and the waste that uh, nuclear energy produces, which is toxic for millennia and we've got no actual way of dealing with it he's forgetting all of that stuff and then he says and it you know it may cost a few quid but it's worth it and it's like well excuse me you know um hinkley is 23 billion pounds it's over budget and over time and it's the most expensive energy project ever built the electricity from it will cost three times the wholesale market price and so there's nothing cheap or safe or clean about nuclear energy yeah even when rod little says it uh, yeah, Rod Little was basically criticizing Johnson for supporting offshore wind and saying that, you know, offshore wind was expensive and it never works, you know, uh, that it can't make a serious contribution to our energy needs. And so I, I wrote a little Facebook piece to fact check that and say, by the way, Rod, you know, we've got 40% of our energy today from renewables. Did you know? Did you not mm. know? And that, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's just it's exasperating, actually, that this old... Yeah myth of wind energy not working would just pop up again but it was the sun so i guess we shouldn't well, yeah but some people more. some people think rod little is the the, the doyen of environmental issues um <laughs> no. others just think he's a massive twat um so you kind of 
you know, you take your side on these things, Dale. Yeah, I guess that's right. <laughs> uh, let's move to, I think we should have a musical interlude. Here we go. Uh, it's a massive attack. Rob Dalnicka, who is joining Forest Green Rovers. What's going on? So, yeah, we've been talking for just over a year. It began with a conversation about a gig they were planning in Liverpool, a zero carbon gig, which is a fantastic plan. And, uh, you know, we've been talking ever since. And uh, one day he just said uh, recently, like, you know, he'd like to do a Hector Bayerine and uh, become a shareholder of Forest Green and become a part of the family. And, uh, and I thought that was fabulous. And I said, well, you know, why don't you join us actually, you know, in a role and had the idea of artistic director because, you know, he's a very creative, artistic kind of guy. That's a, uh, that's a background he has. It's, it's new to us. I think it's new to football. I don't think any football club in the world has ever had an artistic director. And it, yeah. I just think that, you know, there's, there's something that we will find there when we explore that together. There's something good that's going to come from that. You did get some stick over this didn't you I mean, there were some people that said you know you are demasculizing football oh not over this story i haven't heard that in i've heard it before but not over this story. Yeah. <laughs> well i think the word artistic director some maybe it just needs explaining i think you just did really but um yeah. you know as you say this has never been done before yeah my explanation is we don't know what it means or entails we have a sense of what it means obviously but we don't know where it's going to go and what's going to come from it but that's part of the excitement for me it's new territory yeah. and i think that there's a likely good overlap between the world of arts and creativity and football uh, particularly in fan engagement let's say for example uh, rob is sure. a big big football fan and he thinks there's a disengagement issue with football you know I, I can see that and he's going to bring his creativity to the club which i think is just going to be awesome let's see where it goes but you know when we began this 10 years ago bringing the environment into football plenty of people said you can't do that that won't work you know this kind of stuff uh, that was new territory we'll see this will work I quite like the idea. You know, you have the Barmy Army that follow uh, cricket around and the like. Could you not? You know, every time there's a goal uh, at uh, the, the ground, massive attack, just leap in and uh, knock out a few bars. <laughs> well, actually, one of the first things we were looking at is a sound system because we played some massive attack uh, a few games ago when when him and the guys came up, and and he was like, "Oh my god, that's awful! It's made for much better speakers than that." Uh, you know, uh, more bass and that kind of stuff. So one of the first projects we're looking at is to change the sound system in the ground. Uh, yeah. And we're looking at spatial sound. It's quite exciting. We've just hooked up with some uh, major manufacturers just this week that are keen to supply some kit and stuff. And uh, I think Rob's going to do some mixing and uh, there's going to be something very special up at, the, up at the ground soon. Unfortunately, there won't be a lot of fans there to hear it, but, you know, we, we yeah. do what that, we well, That's the thing, isn't it? A, a, a top-notch band, uh, any kind of... <laughs> musical effort they know a sound system when they hear one so yeah, if anything's right. a bit iffy or a bit moody then they're on it no totally and you know i think it's an area for potential massive improvement particularly at our ground but i think in football in general i think sound systems don't get a lot of attention you, know, you just get tannoys really yeah time. that's right they're not designed to play music they don't even do voices very well yeah yeah um, yeah, I'm kind of slightly surprised that no one's been onto that a little more. You know, when you yeah. think of sort of digital boards and yeah. sound and everything that is, you know, sort of central to a good experience, you'd, yeah. you'd think more grounds would be. I think it's been overlooked, but we're going to bring it in. Uh, here's a story about Facebook. I'm fascinated by these uh, these kind of posts, but uh, there's a really serious side to this. So adverts on Facebook denying the reality of climate crisis or the need for action were viewed by at least 8 million 
people in the US in the first half of 2020, according to a, a disinformation think tank that have been looking into this. And this is really serious stuff, isn't it? Because it's all very well saying, well, Facebook, we're onto it. We can get rid of these things. And don't worry, we took them down once we know. But of course, you know, the lie, as they say, is halfway around the world before the truth has even put its boots on. Yeah, that's right. And I think Facebook need to do more. I think I don't think they really try hard enough at all. They talk about uh, wanting to avoid censorship and stuff like that. But there's a point at which you've got to step in and say, uh, you know, this isn't censorship when you're taking out untruth and falsehood, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, newspapers do it. They have a code. I mean, even though uh, we just talked about the Sun and Lord Little, that was an opinion piece. And that's uh, there's a lot more leeway in an opinion piece. Let's yeah, say. of course. Yeah, uh, no one's talking about getting rid of that. We can just all disagree with it. But when it beca- <laughs> when something is just there as a kind of almost a definitive news piece, that's that's serious territory. Yeah, that's a problem. It misrepresents it, misleads people. It's not just Facebook, but I think Facebook are probably uh, behind the curve in terms of taking responsibility for this. Uh, here's a question from Mark on Twitter. We kind of just touched on this. I should have just mentioned this earlier. Really, Dale, can you get Massive Attack to play the new lawn next summer? Go on, he says. Yeah, well, you know, it might be possible because uh, one of the uh, one of the early conversations around what could happen is a gig at the new lawn. So, uh, you know, watch this space. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to Prince William because it's a nice story, this. Um, Prince William, the Duke of Cambridge, has launched a £50 million global environmental prize to help convert climate change doom-mongering into the optimism he believes can save the planet. I'm guessing there's only positives in this story, Dale. Sometimes you need big figures like a a duke or a prince to, to to advance these things, regardless of where one stands on on the wider issue of royalty. Yeah, well, look, I would say I, I read some stuff in the news about this, and I think it's nice to talk about optimism. I think it's naive to think that we can solve any crisis with optimism. I mean, this is Johnson's approach. He just brings optimism to Brexit or to anything and says, don't worry, it'll be all right. That doesn't solve the problem. I don't want to knock the scheme, but I just want to say that I don't think optimism is the answer. Uh, I think we have to be pragmatic and realistic and we have to, uh, you know, break eggs to make this omelette really, you know, like we need onshore wind, for example, which most people want, but the government and most Tory MPs don't. So, you know, we've got to kind of uh, push boundaries and kind of slap ourselves out of this kind of um, stupor that we're in. You know, the climate Mm. crisis is a big deal. And we've got to do some uncomfortable things to sort it out. So yeah. the uh, the Earth Shot, I like the name of it because uh, it's, it's, good name. it's much more appropriate than the Moon Shot. Do you know what I mean? It is the Earth that we Yeah, need what's happened? That's gone very quiet, isn't it? The Moon Shot. <laughs> well, they deny it now. The, um, Johnson has denied that there is a Moon Shot program or a hundred billion pound uh, plan oh. uh, behind it. He's just den- he's disavowed now. Yeah. Despite his government pretty much announcing it the week before. So with this, the Earthshot Prize is going to reward a million pounds to five winning innovators each year mm. from now until 2030. So the public needs a bit of hope, a bit of positivity that deep challenges facing the environment can be solved. As you say, enthusiasm alone, positivity alone isn't going to make it happen. But you know, it's, a, it's a small part of the jigsaw, but maybe a welcome one. Yeah, I've got no problem with the uh, with the contribution in that respect. Um, I think everything that we need to do to solve this crisis, we we know what it is. It is about energy, transport, and food. It's about changing how we live, how we power ourselves, how we travel, and what we eat. All of the technology we need to do that is there or coming very soon in the case of electric airplanes, for example. Everything else is there already. We just have to change how we live. It's as simple as mm. that. Um, 
And that's what we need to grasp, really. We need yeah. government policies that stop the prejudice in favor of fossil fuels and the old bad ways of doing things, factory farming, that kind of stuff. You know, we need to change policy to promote the good stuff. We need to change regulations to preclude the bad stuff, you know, to, to make it illegal. And we need to change the subsidy uh, scheme, the support that comes from government through taxes and subsidies. Um, to promote the good stuff. It's, it's very simple for us to do this. Um, we just got to point our economy and the way yeah. we live in a different direction. Fair point. And I thought we got away with it, but clearly not. <laughs> there you go. Now the book bugle is back for this episode. Um, uh, the reason I mentioned this, Toby on email, he emailed zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. He says, I've pre-ordered the book. Are you doing any online events for the launch? I'd also love to see a video version of the podcast. That's about the second person that's mentioned. Yeah, that's nice. We're looking into it, aren't we? Um, videoing one of these podcasts, Mike Graham style. Uh, that, that could be a bit of fun. Um, yeah, but, but Book Bugle, it was well-timed because what I just said about what we need to do to deal with this crisis, change how we live, what government needs to do, there's a role for business as well and there's a role for people. All of that, chapter 13 of the book. Good work. Um, out very soon. You can pre-order, of course. Uh, that's it for this episode. It goes rather quickly. Um, that was a beauty tale. Have a great week, and we'll speak next week. Thanks, Ian. Uh, that's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, you can subscribe for free from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review, too. If you want to get in touch, you can email your comments and questions to zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. Really important bit. Make sure you follow Dale on social media. That's twitter.com slash dalevince or facebook.com slash dalevince. We'll see you next week. Zero Carbon East Off.